unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, and I'm excited about this week's episode because I've seen the notes, and whenever you combine the two subjects that we're com- that we're going to be talking about today, I always have a bunch of like light bulbs that flash in my brain and, and aha moments. So I can't wait to get into this week's episode. Well, great. Let's get into it. So the two subjects are music and copywriting. This is very directly connected. This is from Kenny Werner's book, Effortless Mastery. It's about music. It's for jazz musicians. One thing he wrote applies very much to brainstorming ideas for copy and marketing campaigns. It's a chapter called Fear-Based Composing. He's obviously against that. He says, the most anxious moment for a composer is staring at a blank piece of paper. Uh, Before I go on, I'd say that's true for copywriters too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And he continues, it's much easier to edit material than to create from nothing. Putting notes on paper without attachment is a great start. Now, the word attachment here is, it, it could be a, a Zen or another kind of Buddhist term, or it could be a therapy, psychological term. It means without caring whether it's good. It means without being judgmental about it. So let me continue now with what Kenny Werner says. Once you have created some stuff, you can begin to edit. And through the process of variation, you can create more music or improve upon what you've got. However, any sense of attachment to the work prevents you from seeing the possibilities. For example, whatever notes you write can be developed by varying the order, the octave, the transposition, and so on. If you do this, Without any emotional attachment, without the need to create anything worthwhile, same old trap, you are likely to come up with a more attractive set of notes. Putting some of them together, you can create longer ideas from the embryo of your original idea. Okay, so I'm going to add a couple of things since he was talking about writing music, and music is one thing, copy and marketing are another thing. My experience and belief is what he was talking about works best when you already have a goal in mind. You want this letter to get people to respond, to get people to opt in, to get people to take some certain action. Probably need to know that. You don't necessarily need to be attached to it while you're writing, but you need to be clear about that. You need to um, know who you're prospects are, who they're not. You need to know about what you're selling, maybe a little bit about the market, but then you put it all aside and you can do a lot of really powerful stuff following the idea I just gave you. It's um, going way past write first, edit later, write drunk, edit sober. It's like write anything and then edit it. Uh, Now, I imagine if you've never tried anything 
like what I just read to you, it might scare you. You might even find it to be complete bullshit. I assure you it's not. It's proven. It works. And it is scary. And it's completely different than the way most people do things. But you can find a way to make it work for you. And we'll talk about that today. But first, here's something I want to talk about right away. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Nathan, let's talk about this. First of all, does any of that ring true to you? Um, you've, you've written, I don't know if you've written music, but you've written lyrics for sure. Maybe you've written some music too. Yeah, so at least when it comes to music and lyrics, especially in rap music, which was my genre, there's two different versions of it. There's freestyle rapping where somebody throws a beat on and you just start flowing and you just say whatever comes out of your mind. And then there's writing for a song where you say, okay, I've got a story that I want to tell, or I've got a point that I want to get to. And they're two very different, uh, they're two very different forms of writing, but sometimes those freestyling, just having fun, just saying, you know, I'm not trying to get to anything. I just want to have fun and, and spit some lyrics on top of this beat. Sometimes that's where some of your best lyrics come from. And then you can say, oh, I really loved how I used this wordplay and, and matched it up with this wordplay. I'm going to take that and actually turn it into a verse or turn it into a chorus. So I think that being able to appreciate the value that both forms of writing, that both forms of, of coming up with lyrics um, have and knowing how one can help the other and one can add structure to the other. Um, it feels like to me in regular writing, that's important as well. I've heard people like talk about just vomit onto the page and then figure out how you can take that vomit and turn it in. That's a really bad analogy, but <laughs> you can, do you, do you, do you kind of understand where I'm trying to go with this? Yeah. I'm going to try to unsee that one. Um, Yes, I, I do. And and actually, I mean, what you're talking about, maybe you meant to talk about it this way, the, the freestyling is sometimes what leads to the more structured, formal story or point case somebody wants to make. And like you said, sometimes you come up with better stuff. So what's going on behind all of this is it's like you don't get a baby fresh out of the womb and get them to start throwing words on the page or notes on, on music paper or anything like that. That's not the idea. The idea is you have a lot of experience behind you in time and literally behind you and behind your eyes and your mouth and your brain and your body. And that if you stop consciously intending so hard, sometimes you'll come up with something better because your unconscious mind doesn't feel so constrained. And yet, ultimately, especially with direct response copy, it's got to work. So, you know, here's the big argument. The big argument is structure and formula versus 
brainstorming and risking. And really, what what you described is a perfect metaphor for for all of this. The freestyling is the brainstorming and risking, and the structure and formula is the more traditional lyric writing where you're writing a song. You know, same thing with copy. Now, this is like a very guilty confession. I I and I've said this before. I like some of those really stupid TV commercials. You know, I like Limu Emu and Doug. I, I really like that emu that goes around with the guy. And that's sort of an example of the guy says, well, Liberty Mutual is like Limu. What rhymes with Limu? Emu. Oh, let's get an emu and let's make it a 70s guy with slick back hair. And then the guys at the insurance company, they don't know any better. And they, well, these guys must be advertising. They must be marketing geniuses. Okay, we'll do it. I mean, I, I don't have any direct knowledge of it. That's how I imagine it kind of works. Um, the problem is, you know, eventually you do have to have attachment. Eventually you do have to be judgmental, but not right away, not while you're creating. That's, and, and that's the point. You know, uh, eventually you might realize, you know, um, a, a strange South American bird is maybe not representing, um, you know, getting paid fully after a car accident the way we'd like it to or something, right? I mean, there, there, are, there are certain logical things you have to do later in your, even before editing, sort of in your refining process. Um, so I think you're caught in a, a somewhat narrow lane. Not super narrow, but you can't be too creative because you'll end up, donating millions of dollars to television networks to, you know, have a guy and a bird. And I don't think it's helping their sales. I, you know, I'd love to know if it does. So you can't be too creative. Readers, especially with direct response copy, they can't follow it. They won't even stick with it. They won't sell. Or they might be tremendously entertained but have no desire to buy. But the then there's the other side of it that I've seen a lot of copywriters do. You can't be too formulaic. You can't be too, oh, I'm going to swipe. I'll, I'll just change a few words. People look at that and say, well, I've seen that before somewhere. I don't know. That's not so interesting to me. And, and they'll turn the page or they'll click away or, or whatever. Um, it's got to be a mixture of both. You, you've got to find that happy medium. And then there's a question of, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, in this case, the egg comes first. The, the egg is the creative part. You, you need to, you know, well, maybe the chicken, because the chicken might be the research, the, the goal, but then you put the chicken back in the chicken coop and you take an egg. And, okay, I don't, I've like, anyway, um, it's got to be a mixture of, of both. But before we, get into what that mixture might look like. Let me talk about something that a lot of people are not aware of, and that is what I call the grave danger of boredom. See, a lot of people have learned about swiping, and they really mistake swiping for plagiarism. They basically say, well, someone else did this. I'm going to do the same thing. And then they learn about copyright law, and they say, oh, I'll just change enough words so that they can't prosecute me. Now, that's not how you do it. 
for a couple reasons. One, it's illegal, and if you have a moral compass, it's unethical and immoral. And secondly, it bores people. They, you know, they will really get tired of this. If your viewer even gets this vague feeling, your reader, your viewer, of your listener, of it's a podcast, right? I've seen this before. They won't find it compelling. And you need it to be compelling. You need to keep them going to build up the value and lead to lead to the pitch and the close. They might even get suspicious without knowing why. Like, I, I, I've seen Frank Kern do this before. Nathan did this last week. Why? Or you know, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll look at this stuff and they'll say, and it it might just be a sort of a funny feeling they have. So there's that. Then if they get bored, well, as David Ogilvy said, you can't bore your customers into buying. That doesn't work either. So you've got to figure out how to use structures that work, but also how to do um, a few things originally. You don't want to go so far out on a limb that what you have is unfamiliar and makes your prospects uncomfortable. Uh, there's an old joke in Hollywood. I think I've told this one before about the studio head, you know, terrifying the screenwriter by saying, well, I want something familiar yet different. And, but that's really true. You want the form to be familiar. So you should do something really different, refreshing and interesting. But unless your readers know you really well and you have some proof from the past that bizarre, crazy shit works, don't do that. Don't do and and you've seen that. You've seen people who they, they just go totally off the wall because they think they're being cool or you know, they're slightly unbalanced or you know, their their hormonal levels are out of whack or whatever. So don't write like that. Your reader should Find it different and refreshing and interesting, but not totally bizarre. Okay. What have been your experiences with that? And what are your thoughts there? I think that one thing that I know for myself, I'm a very busy person. And if I'm reading a book or if I'm watching a movie or if I'm reading a sales letter and it starts getting to the point where it feels like I've already seen this movie. Maybe it was titled something different. Maybe it was starring a different actor, but I already know exactly where this is going to go. Do I really want to invest the next hour and three minutes watching a movie that I've, you know, it's, it's hitting every single plot point and I, and Hollywood is notorious for doing this. Um, same thing happens with your sales letters. If, if people are like, Oh, I know exactly where this is going. I know where the pitch is at. I, I know you know, these, these things that they're bringing up are things that I've already heard 15 times in this industry. You can have that same thing happen where the reader starts tuning out because now they're thinking about all the other times they've heard this exact same sales pitch before. And they say, is it really worth reading all the way to the end? I've already heard all this information. Um, it's one thing that I think people need to keep in mind that the sales copy isn't... It, the goal of the sales copy for us is to make the sale. But we also need to understand what the goal of the sales copy for the reader is. What are they looking to get out of this? Are they looking to get out of the sales copy hearing the same thing they've already heard 15 times from other people in your industry? 
No, they're not. They're, they're reading the sales copy because they have a desire to get out, something out of it. And I think that that's what we, as copywriters, a lot of times we tend to forget that the reader has goals. The reader has something that they want out of reading this. And we need to make sure that we're focused on delivering that as well. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. Something we talked about in the last episode, we've talked about it a lot over time, and that is people's frustration. The market's frustration, prospect's frustrations, the reader's frustrations. There may be some things that are elephants in the room that people complain about in forums, maybe among each other, um, maybe to customer service people when they make refunds, maybe in reviews. And maybe if you can address some of those things that no one else is talking about and bring it up not to put the industry down, not to diminish your competitors, but say, you might have this problem. A lot of people are talking about these days. Here are some ways to solve it, and, and here, here's how we go out of our way to solve it. That's not going to be something they've seen before. And yet, that's not so bizarre. It's relevant to them. It, it, it's going to be worth the hour and three minutes or the portion of that 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 you have to give. So one thing when you're talking about doing things different is you want to minimize your risk. You don't want to go so far in a limb that what you have makes your prospect unfamiliar with it. Now, I think there are two kinds of creativity. Um, there are probably more than two, but there, there are two that I can think of. What most people who know nothing about creativity and a lot of creative people who aren't very successful business-wise with their creativity and a few very successful business people, this first kind, what they know, about expressing yourself, about sharing your thoughts. If you're a, a painter or um, maybe a musician, a, a songwriter, maybe it's about sharing feelings or experiences. And if you, you know, that's a very narrow field for people to actually make money with it. It's, it's a wonderful human experience to have. Uh, I mean, I know myself, we both know because we're both musicians and we both sing a little bit, but to totally count on that to make money is a very long shot. Um, as a copywriter, as a marketer, as a business person, I think your odds are better. Anyway, Self-expression is the first kind of creativity. The second kind, I don't think it's talked about as much, but and it's more practical. It's not as hip. It's, you know, you don't often 
get people like this on the cover of Time Magazine or featured on the Today Show. But um, that's the creativity of solving problems. I mean, the guy who created the Vegematic, you know, it slices, it dices, right? I don't know who it is, but um, that that's a different kind of creativity. You know, so there's Salvador Dali who's throwing tomatoes against the wall, and then there's the guy who created the Vegematic, and it he created a little device that solved the problem. Now, I'm not saying you need to invent the next Vegematic. What I'm saying is look at the two different types of creativity. You're going to use the same process to come up with ideas either way. I mean, for all we know, he might the guy who invented the Vegematic might have started drawing in a you know World War II era turret machine gun that would blast tomatoes and said, okay, that's not gonna work. We'll never never get it in the in the in the mail because those kind of and, and the tomatoes are all over the place and eventually he ends up with the vegematic. So you can start out with a wild idea, but the question is what's your top of the mountain? You know, what's your Mount Everest point? peak of Mount Everest, is it to express myself uniquely and more perfectly than anyone else has ever done? Or is it to find a better way to chop tomatoes? Well, I think that that kind of goes back to the point that we were just making about um, what does the reader want to get out of this? The reader is probably reading it because they want to figure out how to solve the problem or, or reach the solution that they're looking for. And if you're trying to sell something, that's what you need to connect with. Uh, on the other hand, when people are looking at a Salvador Dali painting or when people are going to just enjoy a piece of entertainment, it's because they want something they can relate with. It's something that they want to be able to connect with. Um, so it's, it's the same thing, but on a different level. So uh, when, we're, when we're writing our, pro our, our copy, you say, be creative to innovate to solve problems they're looking for an innovative solution for their problem. So make sure that you're delivering that. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to put it. Put another way, you could say that writing copy is about solving problems and you do use some entertainment and creativity to do it. Um, first, your prospects problems. And second, the sales problem for you or your client or both. So how do you get there? You know, what, what, what are the steps? Here's, here's my best advice. There are a lot of ways to get there, I guess. This is my best advice. Don't start out just trying to be creative. Actually, initially, follow the structure, even if the structure is doing your research, learning who your customer is, the market, the competition, the frustrations of the individuals, the product, competing products, learn all that stuff. And then just start writing and welcome frustration. Seek to run into walls. Look for blockades and obstacles because it's the way that you will innovate in working around those obstacles. That's where the gold is. I mean, it's a tired old example, but it's a really good point here. Uh, the guy who invented post it notes, he was trying to find markers in a hymnal in church that would not fall out when you opened the book. And he noticed something at his laboratory at 3M 
about a, a glue that kept working and eventually, you know, now there's a billion dollar post-it note industry. Because he ran into a wall, there was a problem. He was tired of having to remember the pages in the hymnal on Sunday when he was singing at church. So when you run into walls, try different ways to fix the problem. And one of those ways will be a useful innovation. I think it's a dance between structure and discipline and formula and narrowed focus and sort of the the wild stuff of put down any notes, put down any words, draw with crayons, get in a room with no sharp objects, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And going back to the chicken versus the egg scenario that you were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. um, and, and tying it back to music as well. If you're into music and you've been making music, you produce music or whatever, you might know, I want to make a love song. And so I know that my love song needs to work towards this goal. And I might know that my love song, these types of tones and these types of melodies work better for love songs. I don't want to have something that's down and depressing. I don't want to hit notes that are going to resonate negatively with people. I want to have an upbeat, cheery. So you kind of have an idea. Yeah. But then once you have that idea of, of it needs to be within these constraints, then you allow your creativity to go. Um, sometimes having a little bit of structure allows the best type of creativity. That's very true. I think constraints actually um, work really well. I mean, I, I like things like um, haiku. I don't write much of it, but I like the idea that there are only so many syllables in each line. And there are other situations when I'm making the videos to um, promote these podcasts on Facebook, you know, I've, I've got to be inside a 60 second window. And sometimes there's a little video clip of me talking that I have to lead up to all these constraints and just, you know, go out and, and, and make the next reservoir dogs or something. <laughs> so if we were going to wrap up the main the main idea of this week's episode, what would it be, David? Um, the main idea is take off the shackles once you're prepared to write. Get prepared and then take off the shackles. Um, just write random things down. Just do it. But do it. Don't think about it. Do it. Let it be as bad as it needs to be. And then go back to, okay, let's, what's the plan? So which of this can I use? How should I change it? Should I do more? Because it's always easier, as Kenny Werner said, it's always easier to edit than to create from nothing. So there's no pressure on creating when you just, after you've got yourself set, you know, where you're going, you just put some stuff down. Awesome. All right, David, another fantastic episode. Until next time, where can people go if they want to check out more episodes of this here podcast? I would recommend that they go to copywriterspodcast.com. If you found this episode valuable, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. That way you'll never miss a show. Brought to you by the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.